The teacher in me wants to make sure you understand yesterday's lesson. I covered a lengthy article from the Wall Street Journal about the Russia collusion hoax dossier, the infamous Steele dossier. I wanted to make it clear as I was reading it that the Wall Street Journal is no more to be trusted than any other mainstream media source. But I noticed that it still comes across as neutral, even though it's anything but. So today I'll include a brief crib notes version by Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. WSJ, vengeful Russian PR exec was source of outlandish dossier claims. The most important contributor to the Russia collusion hoax dossier has been identified by the Wall Street Journal as a disgruntled Russian public relations executive with a reported drinking problem. The 40-year-old Olga Galkina had already been suspected as the woman who provided the most critical allegations of unverified and uncorroborated gossip to an old school friend digging for dirt on Donald Trump. According to the journal, Galkina was the source of the completely debunked claim that Trump attorney Michael Cohen had conspired with high-level Russian officials in a secret meeting in Prague. Shortly after getting fired from her job at a web services company known for its Webzilla internet hosting unit, she claimed that its owner, Russian internet entrepreneur Alexei Gubarev, had been recruited by Russian security services. Also, shortly after her firing from the company, Galkina blamed Webzilla for the hack of emails from the Democratic National Committee. None of the dramatic stories that Galkina shared with her friend Igor Danchenko, who is also a Russian national and was suspected by the U.S. government of being a Russian agent, have been corroborated. The Russia collusion hoax operation was secretly funded by the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee. This summer, it was revealed that Donchenko was hired by Christopher Steele, a man falsely described by major media as a James Bond-like master spy to get dirt on Trump. Galkina was reportedly fired for frequently showing up late to work, appearing drunk. A manager reportedly went to authorities because an acquaintance of Galkina told him he would face deep trouble, including possible death, unless he paid 10,000 euros, $11,740 in compensation, according to a statement that was confirmed by a Cypriot official and another person who confirmed it, according to the Wall Street Journal. Danchenko also had a history of public drunkenness, and he described another source for his dossier work as a drinking buddy. The dossier mixed publicly available information with outlandish gossip, smears, rumors, and innuendo. The FBI used the smears to help secure warrants to spy on a Trump campaign affiliate, despite having many reasons to believe they were false. Kevin Kleinsmith, an FBI official who worked for Robert Mueller's special counsel probe, was convicted of falsifying a document that was used to help continue spying on Carter Page, the Trump affiliate. So let me break in here. The Clinton team includes the FBI, apparently, and the CIA. It includes Hollywood and includes CNN, Clinton News Network, and MSDNC, it should be painfully obvious to anyone who isn't watching mainstream media that this is a cabal. This is collusion. Hillary Clinton is still here. All that's necessary here for clarity is to remember that the DNC funded this operation. Back to the story. Despite the complete lack of corroboration for the non-public information, Donchenko told the journal he trusted Galkina and his other sources. I have no reason to believe that any of them fabricated information that was given to me, Donchenko told the journal. 
More importantly, I have yet to see anything credible that indicates that the raw intelligence I collected was inaccurate. So what is the United States government doing about all of this obviously shady stuff? An investigation into the Russia collusion hoax is purportedly being conducted by the Department of Justice, although Kleinsmith is the only government official to be held accountable for his participation in the operation. Attorney General William Barr appointed John Durham to head a probe into the Russia collusion investigation and its origins. I hope, dear viewers and listeners, you're not waiting for heads to roll over this. So why do I bring this up? And why am I wearing a Bernie hat? I want to remind everybody that Joe Biden is a weaker candidate than Hillary Clinton, and the reason we have Joe Biden is Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama, and the rest of the DNC cabal. Dr. Munar Kazmir wants us to consider the question, can Biden really succeed where Clinton failed? The swing states are tight, the whole contest is tight, like many of us figured out a long time ago. We told you all along on this show that the swing states were going to be the win or the loss for the comfy Dems. We told you all along that Bernie was a lot better bet to beat Trump than Joe Biden. Now we're all on pins and needles waiting for the world to end, and we could have had a lot different outcome if you had just listened. But instead, you listen to your mainstream media, and this is what you get. Pins and needles. When Democratic Party leadership finally pushed Joe Biden's flagging campaign across the finish line for his primary win in June, moderate Democrats breathed a long sigh of relief. The worst for the moment had been averted. Self-avowed Democratic Socialist and Independent wildcard Senator Bernie Sanders had been vanquished by a coalition of powerful party leaders and moderate voters. Thanks again, wine moms. Was that the moment the Democratic Party won the 2020 general election against Donald Trump or the moment they lost it? After all, Bernie Sanders wasn't vanquished by the strength of Joe Biden. Former Vice President Joe Biden trailed Sanders and several other candidates throughout the race in two early primaries and in the polls for a wide swath of the country. The Biden campaign's fundraising was lackadaisical at best. Biden was badly overshadowed by his competitors, including his running mate, Senator Kamala Harris, during the primary debates. In many ways, Joe Biden is the candidate no one wanted, but on whom almost everyone was willing to compromise. But not everyone was willing to compromise, don't forget that. Bernie or Trumpers and Bernie or Busters combined in swing states gave the election to Donald Trump. So we contrast that with Hillary Clinton. Not so Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton's claim at this point in 2016 seemed far stronger. Clinton had an enthusiastic base of supporters to rival even that of Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Support for Clinton was highly visible. People were proudly sporting shirts declaring they were with her and campaigning for the Clinton campaign. Hillary Clinton campaign signs were everywhere. She, like Joe Biden, was considered a stronger candidate than Bernie Sanders. Yet Bernie Sanders, an outspoken outsider with a long history of fighting for progressive and working class causes, might have fared better in the race against Trump than Clinton did. Might have? Clinton didn't even try in the swing states. Bernie Sanders might have? In 2016, everyone was so certain Clinton was headed for a win. 
media figures, celebrities, Wall Street, betting companies, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Republicans, and Democrats were united in the expectation that the Hillary Clinton administration was a long foregone conclusion. Current House Speaker Representative Nancy Pelosi guaranteed it. Then something unexpected happened on the way to the forum on Hillary Clinton's preordained path to the White House. Donald Trump won. Why? And what is different this time around? Is Joe Biden really a stronger candidate than Hillary Clinton? Can he succeed where she and everyone with her failed? There have been plenty of theories about why Clinton lost in 2016, some with more merit than others. Like all complex outcomes, Clinton's loss to Trump in 2016 was the result of more than one factor. Unfortunately for Democrats, most of the factors which contributed to Clinton's loss are exacerbated in Joe Biden. I'm going to jump ahead here because Dr. Kazmir is going over Clinton's weaknesses, which I've gone over many times before, so you can read this article for yourself. But let me say this paragraph. Joe Biden's scandals, family members enriching themselves in dealings with shady foreign companies and influence peddling schemes, a sexual assault charge by a former staff member, accusations of unwanted touching, much unwanted touching, which surfaced during the primary, are all much easier to understand. Clinton's email scandals didn't just go away in 2016. Will Joe Biden's scandals just go away in 2020? The Hillary Clinton campaign was poorly run and didn't focus enough on swing states, except the Joe Biden campaign is being even more poorly run and has been using the Hillary Clinton campaign playbook of ignoring swing voters in key states like Florida and Michigan. Ding, ding, ding. Skipping ahead again. At last, Democrats in swing states thought Joe Biden would be hitting the campaign trail in earnest. But after weeks of calling early lids, which is an unofficial communication to the bevy of embedded reporters that the candidate will be doing no more events that day, swing state Democrats are once again feeling nervous. Democrats who mention such nervousness or are flashing warning signals because Biden sometimes struggles to answer softball questions without a teleprompter are immediately decried as bedwetters and milk toasts. These naysayers are shouted down by a Greek chorus of, What, do you want Trump to win? Donald Trump, we are told, is a uniquely evil threat to the country. This is not the time to be overly critical of Joe Biden. Democrats weren't interested in criticisms of the Clinton campaign in 2016 either. That strategy did not win the White House in the end. In many ways, Joe Biden is a weaker candidate than Clinton ever was. That Donald Trump is terrible was not a good enough defense of Hillary Clinton in 2016. Will Trump's unpopularity in polls be sufficient for Joe Biden and the Democratic Party this time around? Just saying, you comfy Dems, it didn't have to be this way. Now we continue the I told you so story, putting blame squarely where it's due. We can't simply blame the wine moms for having Bernie Sanders be scuttled. We can't even blame Barack Obama without also blaming the cabal that he runs. We have to blame the MSNBC anchors, and that includes Rachel Maddow and Nicole Wallace. There are plenty of people at MSNBC who deserve blame for not getting Bernie and having to deal with Biden right now. I'm sure I'll leave people out, but this Truth Dig article is a great reminder of what happened with MSNBC anchors and why we need to call them deplorables. This is by Jake Johnson of Common Dreams. 
As it became clear Saturday evening that Senator Bernie Sanders would run away with the Nevada caucus and secure his position as the frontrunner in the Democratic presidential primary, MSNBC anchors and contributors lashed out at the senator and his supporters in bizarre and sometimes hysterical fashion, descending into what one observer could only describe as a full-blown freakout. Earlier in the Democratic primary process, the Comcast-owned network was notorious for ignoring the senator from Vermont and covering him negatively when it covered him at all. But Saturday marked a clear escalation in hostility from MSNBC's on-air personalities as Sanders' diverse coalition of supporters propelled him to a landslide victory in Nevada, the third consecutive state in which the senator has won the popular vote. Nicole Wallace, former communications director for the George W. Bush White House, described Sanders' multiracial, multigenerational coalition as a squeaky, angry minority and accused the senator of deploying dark arts as she introduced Democratic political consultant James Carville, who proceeded to declare Sanders' win in Nevada a victory for Russian President Vladimir Putin. If you have a difficult time believing that Nicole was ever a Bush supporter, give this a listen. I can tell them we waterboarded three people. Uh, back, last one was waterboarded in 2003. Three people. Yeah. And there is a debate doctor in the room. on whether Do that is ISIS actionable in intelligence in the room or not. When they decapitate people with a knife? Uh, we're, we're, Do, I mean, it, no, but I'm just saying, wait, wait, You just said we're a beacon, a moral beacon. So. In the history of this country, uh, I think months after 9-11, there were three people who we thought knew about imminent attacks, and we did whatever we had to do. And I pray to God that till the end of time, we do whatever we have to do to find out what's happening. Well, we have, we and the notion that this somehow makes America less great is asinine and dangerous. And I swear to God, I have never felt more frustrated with this White House's inability to speak clearly than I was yesterday when John Carl was pushing Josh Ernest to say whether Obama found the information gleaned helpful in killing bin Laden. But you watch that exchange with John Carl and, and Ernest, and that's what this is about. Does it help us kill people who want to kill us? regardless Nicole, of what we do. It's, it's, but the notion that what we do affects the behavior of terrorists is a lie. It's a lie perpetrated by political correctness and by liberals, it's, and it's dangerous. It's just not true. That's not true. That's how I feel. It's, it's, you don't okay, have to win feel, me over, I, and I don't have to win you I over, but that's you, how I, I feel. And I respect the way, the way you, you feel. feel. But here's the problem. The problem is not did we waterboard three people. The problem is what about the black prisons in Poland, which the, which the EU is really upset about? Well, what, what else in Poland? I think you should wait till the report comes out. What about supporting right-wing groups that killed hundreds what of thousands. Else, what else did we do to make sure that 3,000 people weren't blown out of the, uh, obliterated once, on, on a New once, York City morning? The, what else did we do? I don't care what Nicole, we people in Guatemala were not a threat to the United States. We killed 200,000 of them by supporting General Mont. This is a pattern in the United States. We have to have an open debate See, about what we're doing it's just a fundamental, it's not a pattern. It's a belief about whether we're, whether what we do is from a place of morality and of protecting innocent and lives. It, and and my point is, is, it isn't always and let's find out if this is or not. But you just said so, you already know everything. I just, it isn't about finding out. I think all the reasons that liberals give are lies. And I think that this is about doing whatever it takes. I think this will divide the country in the next presidential election. And I think Republicans are... So James Carville and Nicole Wallace, you can fuck all the way off. Your Russia conspiracy hoax is debunked.
And after you put that in your pipe and smoke it, I think you should take a long hiatus from news broadcasting. And if your bosses weren't working directly for the oligarchs, they would make sure that happened. At one point in his appearance, Carville waved at the camera and said, Hi Vlad, suggesting Putin was likely watching MSNBC's coverage of the caucus results. I'll tell you, James, I sure wasn't watching. Here's Ryan Grimm's tweet. A squeaky, angry minority. MSNBC is gonna be must-watch TV the next few weeks. Carville follows by calling Putin the real winner today. Wallace later lamented that she has no idea what voters think about anything anymore after her colleague Steve Kornacki explained that Sanders performed well in precincts with a large number of culinary union workers despite the union leadership's antagonism toward the senator. As an aside, I want to remind you that most of the union leaders are part of this cabal and if unions are ever going to stand up and do anything worthwhile again, they have to flush their current leadership. This is from Jeff at Spitting Back. Those are the voters that have seen the sheets that Culinary handed them about Medicare for All and decided to vote anyway for Bernie Sanders. That was in reaction to what Nicole Wallace said. I have no idea what voters think about anything anymore. Um, but yeah, to those results we got from Chris Jansen, just to underscore the significance of what she told us, Sanders, by the numbers she gave us, got 62% out of that Bellagio precinct. Again, these are jumbo precincts. The significance here, you're talking about these precincts where these culinary union workers, a lot of them are voting, set up specially for the workers there on the strip. Sanders to be getting 62% here after all the conversation about how would those union voters vote and after what happened to him in 2016 here in a in Nevada. The reason I think he lost, one of the big reasons he lost statewide, he was getting blown out two to one by Hillary Clinton and one after another of these filled with union workers. And this time around where Chris Jansen was, this is the biggest single one of them, 62%, completely opposite story. <laughs> pretty fascinating to watch democracy decided by the draw of a card. Correct. Uh, and you important. may love it. Yeah. And it may terrify you. I have no idea what voters think about anything anymore. That's because, Nicole, you're an out-of-touch, elitist scumbag. NPR's Maria Hinojosa, a frequent MSNBC contributor, demanded to know what Sanders has done to actually deliver for Latino and Latina voters after the senator dominated the Democratic field among those voters in Nevada. MSNBC sure has a lot of commentators who hate Sanders, tweeted Brian Fallon, the executive director of Demand Justice, who served as national press secretary for Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. The most unhinged lines of Saturday night come from hardball host Chris Matthews, who compared Sanders' Nevada win to the Nazi invasion of France. I was reading last night about the fall of France in the summer of 1940, said Matthews. And the general, Reynaud, calls up Churchill and says, it's over. And Churchill says, how can that be? You've got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? He said, it's over. How can that be? You've got the greatest cabal ever put together. How can it be over? He said, it's over. So I had that suppressed feeling, Matthews continued. I can't be as wild as Carville, but he is damn smart, and I think he's damn right on this one. Earlier Saturday, as Common Dreams reported, Matthews suggested that four more years of President Donald Trump might be better for the Democratic Party than a Sanders presidency. Matthews' remarks comparing the Sanders campaign to Nazis, not the first time an MSNBC host has made such a comparison, thank you Chuck Todd, 
sparked immediate backlash and demands for his resignation. Why hasn't Chuck Todd resigned? Why hasn't Nicole Wallace resigned? Why hasn't Rachel Maddow resigned? They're all elitist hacks, and they all should resign. Mike Casca, communications director for the Sanders campaign, tweeted that he never thought part of my job would be pleading with a national news network to stop likening the campaign of a Jewish presidential candidate whose family was wiped out by the Nazis to the Third Reich. But here we are, Casca wrote. Because I've covered that article before, I'm going to leave it there for you to read yourselves. I'm going to jump ahead to the place of honor reserved for someone who said that Biden is a fraud, plain and simple, but is now telling us to vote for him. It's easy to heap scorn and abuse on the known enemy, MSNBC, but someone like Norman Solomon should know better than to tell us to vote for Biden. And he did, obviously, at one point in time. Back in April of 2019, he knew that Joe Biden is a fraud, plain and simple. What happened, Norm? And for a little more context, I'll let you know that Victor Tiffany and I were in contact with Norm earlier and told him, Bernie or bust, man, you gotta go with Bernie or bust. And he just wouldn't. He told us back then that we were absolutely wrong to propose such an idea as Bernie or bust. So Norman, you are worthy of the greatest amount of heaped scorn and disdain. Let's be blunt. Yes, let's be blunt. As a supposed friend of American workers, Joe Biden is a phony. And now that he's running for president, Biden's huge task is to hide his phoniness. From the outset, with dim prospects from small donors, the Biden campaign is depending on big checks from the rich and corporate elites who greatly appreciate his services rendered. He must rely heavily, at least at first, upon an old-fashioned network of money bundlers, political insiders, former ambassadors and business executives, the New York Times reported on Tuesday. Biden has a media image that exudes down-to-earth caring and advocacy for regular folks, but his actual record is a very different story. During the 1970s, in his first Senate term, Biden spouted white backlash rhetoric, used tropes pandering to racism, and teamed up with arch-segregationists against measures like busing for school integration. He went on to be a fount of racially charged appeals and predators on our streets oratory on the Senate floor as he led the successful effort to pass the now notorious 1994 crime bill. A gavel in Biden's hand repeatedly proved to be dangerous. In 1991, as chair of the Judiciary Committee, Biden prevented key witnesses from testifying to corroborate Anita Hill's accusations of sexual harassment during the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court. In 2002, as chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, Biden was the Senate's most crucial supporter of the Iraq invasion. Meanwhile, for well over four decades, while corporate media preened his image as Lunch Bucket Joe fighting for the middle class, Biden continued his assist for strengthening oligarchy as a powerful champion of legalizing corporate plunder on a mind-boggling scale. Now, Joe Biden has arrived as a presidential candidate to rescue the Democratic Party from Bernie Sanders. Urgency is in the media air. Last week, the New York Times told readers that Stop Sanders Democrats were agonizing over his momentum. The story was front page news. At the Washington Post, a two-sentence headline appeared just above a nice photo of Biden. 
Far-left policies will drive a 2020 defeat, centrist Democrats fear, so they are floating alternatives. Biden is the most reliable alternative for corporate America. He has what Sanders completely lacks, vast experience as an elected official serving the interests of credit card companies, big banks, insurance firms, and other parts of the financial services industry. His alignment with corporate interests has been comprehensive. It was a fulcrum of his entire political career when in 1993, Senator Biden voted yes, while most Democrats in Congress voted no against NAFTA. In recent months, from his pro-corporate vantage point, Biden has been taking pot shots at the progressive populism of Bernie Sanders. At a gathering in Alabama last fall, Biden said, Guys, the wealthy are as patriotic as the poor. I know Bernie doesn't like me saying that, but they are. Later, Biden elaborated on the theme when he told an audience at the Brookings Institution, I don't think 500 billionaires are the reason we're in trouble. The folks at the top aren't bad guys. And then he goes on to skewer the mainstream treatment of Sanders and then how they're playing with kid gloves with Joe Biden. What happened, Norman? You knew all this. You knew how bad Joe Biden was, and yet you told us to vote for him. You really seem to think that we're going to be better off with someone like Joe Biden. That must be why they call it common dreams. You're dreaming. All the people who have actually been affected by Joe Biden's and Barack Obama's policies know better. They know better than to try to vote their way out of this. We need to stop playing softball with the comfy Dems. We're waiting on pins and needles now for the outcome of an election that didn't have to be this close. And the reason, Norman, is because you didn't advocate for Bernie or Bust. Not just you, of course, Cenk Uger and all of his minions. None of the lefty pundits were willing enough to jump on the Bernie or Bust train. And we still have to blame Bernie for jumping out of the contest so soon. His worries about being another Ralph Nader really skewered all of us. And the fact that there's always a sheepdog in the Democratic Party. We should figure this shit out. So if you haven't already exited the Democratic Party, now would be a good time. And you should swear to yourself in front of a mirror on a stack of whatever you want to read, you will never again vote for a Democrat even a sheepdog Democrat, even a progressive Democrat who seems to say all the right things, but then supports whatever mama bear Pelosi tells her to support. We really need to wake up. We need to wake all the way up. And sheepdogs like Norman are probably the ones who are the most dangerous. If we can't see what people like Norman are doing, then we're always going to be sheep. Mm -hmm.